Suits and Sanders is a leadership and legacy podcast that seeks to address the key leadership issues in business, government, and personal or self-leadership. Our objective is to raise the awareness of the crucial role leadership plays in almost every tangible achievement of personal and institutional goals. At the core of our mission, we believe every person is born with a special gift to lead an impactful life and to massively contribute towards the success of the nation and our posterity. The name Suits and Sanders reminds us that great leaders are first servants. So we believe you're going to massively be impacted with the content we'll bring you and we hope that you're going to maximize your potential with the objective of maximizing your contribution to the nation but above all to leave an impact on this generation and to the entire posterity so join us on this journey bertha welcome to the podcast thank you very much i'm glad to be here Bertha, I know you as a social media influencer. I don't know if you even know about this, but uh, Facebook is definitely awash with your posts. And people tend to wonder, like, who's Bertha Montali? They see you posting about the doors. They see you talking about business, about scientific research, uh, politics. You are pretty much all over the place. Who is Bertha Montali? All right. Thank you very much for that question. Who is Bertha Montali? Well, I'd say I am someone who, as you rightly said, is all over. Um, <laughs> I'll define my all over because of my passion. <laughs> I'm passionate about a lot of things. So first things first, Betha Muntali is Niam Kandawire, married to Owen Muntali. I have three kids, uh, a 16-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a 10-year-old. I studied at Chancellor College. Uh, I majored in uh, home economics and a Bachelor of Education. And uh, my minor was geography. But before Chancellor College, I went to Ikwendeni Girls Secondary School up north. I am from a small village, a lake village called Kwawa up north, uh, Karonga South constituency. And in 1993, I got selected to go to Ikwendeni Girls Secondary School, as I've said. And then mm. I went to Chancellor College. So basically, I am a teacher by training, but I didn't teach much. Um, after graduating from Chancellor College, I went straight to working with different NGOs and the UN. And for the past 16 years, I've worked as a nutrition officer, nutrition consultant, nutrition advisor with different organizations uh, mm. across Africa. So in summary, I'm a teacher. A nutrition teacher as well as a creative artist i would say i would put myself in that category as a creative artist wow uh, that's a rich background and a rich experience as well you are truly exposed to multiple industries multiple environments different countries and i know that uh, you own and uh, you are still developing the yellow kingdom network uh, which is the Kids Edutainment Network. What is your vision around this network and what are some of the activities you want to include in this grand vision of yours? All right, so yes, indeed, I am the founder of Yellow Kingdom Network. Yellow Kingdom Network is basically an African-themed child edutainment. is an African version of Disney Channel. What I wanted out of Yellow Kingdom Network is to come up with um, a network that gives out content, which is educational, 
as well as entertaining, but which is really African-based. What I noticed is there is a big gap on the market, as well as uh, socialization of children is concerned, whereby especially urban kids, they are more exposed to content that is not African. And I think for me as an educator, as well as a development expert, that is a very big red flag. You cannot develop a nation based on the ideas or concepts and ideologies from another place. So mm. for me, I believe with that gap that is there in terms of socializing children, we are also creating a bigger void in terms of how these children conceptualize issues. The more they watch content outside Africa, the more they think that is the life that we should have. But you know, Africa is different. Africa is not Europe. Africa is not America. Africa is not South America. Africa is Africa. Therefore, as children are growing in this continent, they need content, they need environment that will socialize them based on African values. Any Mm. country that does not have a culture and values that are their own, that country is lost. That continent is lost. That legion is lost. So for me, Yellow Kingdom Network is actually um, a platform where I would really want the African child to own Africanness. And Mm. you asked about what is the grand vision of this network. The vision is really to to have a space or a network where we should be able to socialize these children uh, from a tender age for them to understand what it means to be African. And being an African, what does it mean for them to develop Africa? We are living in a global village. The influence is very high from every corner uh, of the world. We are like Mm. thrown in this space where winners are those people who hold strongly to to the values, uh, cultures that define them. And if they are strong enough to influence everyone else, those people who get influenced easily are the ones that uh, lose in their process. So for Africa to be Africa and to aspire to achieve great things for Africa, we really need to define the education that is African-based. So in YKN, how have you split your products and services to make sure that you are able to deliver on this vision? The components that include in Yellow Kingdom Network, we have storybooks for children, I have animations that I'm working on, games that I'm working on, Uh, Mm. I want also to include virtual reality, uh, VR and it, where all this content should be African-themed, African-based content from our own continent. So probably in summary, I would say uh, uh, Yellow Kingdom Network is an African version of the Disney, but it's just more African. Wow, your your vision is very powerful. I think recently I've been also doing uh, some sort of research where I realized that mm-hmm. uh, there's a big gap in the market and especially for African-oriented content. As much as, uh, for example, you look at one industry, which would be maybe uh, music, would say, okay, music industry is actually booming. And we talk about countries like Nigeria who have flooded the, even the European market with their African uh, type of music. But when you come to... Uh, the edutainment specifically focusing on kids. You're very right. I agree with you. Uh, I've lived in diaspora for a long time. It's so difficult to find great content that speaks to our children in terms of who they are, where they're coming from, and what they need to aspire in terms of the continent. So I applaud you greatly 
for sustaining this vision. And I believe that you're going to achieve massive and exponential growth in your vision. One area uh, that actually fascinates me, or I would say I'm very curious to know, you are a nutritionist, you are a teacher, yes, but specifically on the area of nutrition, how did this push you to end up specifically having passion for kids, staff, and entertainment? You've spoken about your plan to actually develop some sort of African Disney, but being a nutritionist, how did you find yourself there? When I started out as a teacher, as an education student, there were a lot of courses that we were learning as education students, as well as in nutrition or home economics. We also mm-hmm. had a lot of courses to do with early childhood development. So we could study the holistic development of the child, their health, their nutrition, their cognitive development, the psychology part of it. It was a very Mm. broad content within home economics as well as education. So being someone who was in home economics where we were focusing on child development, it was like something that emerged and gave me a platform of creativity to look beyond the normal teaching methods. The education was too basic and I was aspiring really to look at what kind of other content can you teach the the children beyond the curriculum that is set and designed to pass grades. So that was also one of the interest areas I had. But in addition Mm. to that, when I started working, I didn't really focus on that. I knew there was a gap. We needed the teaching methods. We needed to take the learner on a journey of self-exploration. We need to have the learners who can think beyond just passing exams. But then when I started as a nutritionist, I was so engrossed in just being a nutritionist, working every day. And then I started having my own kids. As a parent, every day your children would want you to read them a bedtime story, to tell them something. And it was easy for me to walk in a bookshop and buy a book. I remember the first book I bought was about Disney princesses. There were seven princesses in that book. There was a Cinderella, a Bella. Uh, all those Disney princesses and when I was reading the books to the kids each character it was not I was not comfortable I was like why am I doing this when I could tell these children about Kamdut the African story Mm. the stories that I grew up on so I started really getting more and more interested to explore what stories do we have as Africans that I can tell the children so I was using my knowledge as a teacher because the teaching methods that I learned, the learning styles that I learned, plus my own passion to understand content that I could read to my children. So I started digging back into my undergraduate courses and bringing that on board to, to, mm. to try to educate my children, to entertain them at the same time. And that's how I really started getting interested in children's content. And I started taking time to watch animations and cartoons that my children were watching. I could see nothing that was African. And yet mm. I remember the story of Kamdot, which had a great impact on me growing up. The story of Zita, all those stories that we were taught in school as well as around the fireplaces with our grandmothers. No one was telling them. It was like we were ashamed of our own content and it didn't Mm. sit well with me. So one night when I told my children the story of Kamdoti, something in me said, but you can bring Kamdoti to life. You can make something that the children can see because there was no book, there was no story book on Kamdoti. So they didn't know how Kamdoti looked. Uh, Any picture, any 
nothing. All they knew was Sophia the First was there. They knew all the Hannah Montanas and all those characters from Hollywood because they were animations, they were short movies, they were toys associated. So I felt like started coming up with characters, putting the stories in books, and that's how I started writing those books for children. Uh, making even the doll, which I called African Girl, but it's really based on the story of Gamdochi. So I think my background, despite that I was a nutritionist, but being a teacher, home economics, and being a mother, it was just a feather ground for me, really, to go into that space and explore more. And I think if you look at the content that I create, you will notice that no ordinary person can create that content, unless if you have a background in teaching, because Very that's true. what we learn in education. You have to, yes, you have to connect to your learner. So you have to bring to life the messages that you want to communicate to them. In, in college, you used to call that the earlier. It's that visual things that you can show your learner for them to easily understand. And that's what I started doing, bringing visual things, toys, dolls, writing stories, uh, illustrating the stories through some artists. And then children or my children started really linking the characters, the doors and the stories I'm telling them, and they started coming to life. Okay, so I'm at a point uh, whereby I've not fully developed all this content. It's a lot of work. I need a lot of teamwork. I need a lot of resources to produce a lot of things. But mm. it's a journey I'm learning. Uh, there are a lot of things that I'm learning along the way, trying to explore what is the best way to communicate this content. And right now I'm looking for like sponsors, uh, you know, mm. like investors, people who could come on board and just support the idea so that on the continent, we can have another version of Disney. I think for Africa, the greatest challenge that we have is we joke too much. You know, we <laughs> joke too much. The world is not joking right now. People are doing great, amazing things. While I feel like for us, we still haven't figured out our way. It might take time for us, but we don't have much time. Because we live in a world where knowledge now is becoming our most expensive resource. A country with people who are knowledgeable is richer than a country with diamonds right now. Because there are countries like Malawi which have resources, but no mm. one knows how to exploit those resources and take them out and use them normally. So we are living in a global space where knowledge has become another infrastructure. They call it gray matter infrastructure, uh, mm. according to the African Development Bank. They uh, gray matter, yeah, because people with knowledge are innovative, are creative, they are coming up with things every day and they're selling that knowledge. We're all using Microsoft this, we're using PowerPoint this, we're using all that knowledge that other people brought into existence. We're all on Facebook, a space that someone just created and we're all there every day doing whatever God knows what. But if you ask Mark Zuckerberg, he doesn't have a factory. He just have something which is cloud or whatever we can call it. So I feel like the more I go into this space where I'm working on, the more I can influence young people to be creative, to think. Because even the content that I'm coming up now for the children, I want it to be more futuristic, more scientific, in a way that if I'm creating, for example, I'll give you an example. If the dolls are characters, for example, in an animation, Let's say one yeah. of the doors is blind and these mm. doors have to find solutions to help their blind friend to get around. So, for example, they would come up with a walking stick, which is smart. When the blind girl is walking around, the smart walking stick should be able to tell her to say, look here, 
there is a trench here, there's a tree here, there's, there's a road here, you know, that kind of smart. So that's the content I'm also bringing in. So as you said earlier that this is a grand big project, it is really big. It's not just for me to entertain the children, but I also want to tweak their mindsets for them to start thinking bigger and to bring all that technology, AI, artificial intelligence and VR into animations yeah. as well. I want the African child look at themselves as innovators, as creators. They shouldn't just sit and wait for a kid from China to come up with a TikTok platform yeah. or someone to come up with a Snapchat. We should have African young people who are creating platforms that are coming up with a lot of things, they are coding, they are doing a lot of things. So for me, yeah. my vision is really big. It's not just a door that the child can play with, but a door that can influence. For example, what if we make a door that is coded with, let's say, Swahili? You know, Swahili yeah. is an African language. So if the kids buy it with basic greetings in Swahili, asking for food in Swahili and all those things, it means we are teaching the children, you are in diaspora, your children don't even know Chichewa, if, if, I'm, yeah. if I'm correct, because mine don't, correct. my kids don't know much of Chichewa or even Tumbuka. So, mm. Exactly. So what if we make a door that is coded with Tumbuka, I can speak Tumbuka, I can speak Chichewa, that's the kind of path I want to take. It's kind of very ambitious, but I know it's possible because if you can conceive it in your head, it means it can be done, you know? True. It can be done. So I would say my creativity is beyond my training, yes, but it's also very much influenced by what is happening right now in the world and how best do we position an African child. I always tell people that, look here, an American child has a luxury of watching useless cartoons that don't make sense because their ancestors already built their land. They already did a lot of things. Children in so Europe, true. they are sitting back now. They are comfortable enjoying what their great-grandparents did. For us, mm -hmm. this is the time for our children to be more challenged. So an African child does not have a luxury of spending time on a cartoon without being productive. Yes, they can watch cartoons, but let's make content that will challenge them to be more innovative, to be more creative than just watch something and, okay, I watch Tom and Jerry. So what? Tom and Jerry chasing each other around the house all day. It doesn't make, it doesn't contribute much to this child. But, but if they were to watch what I do with the dolls, the creativity, the dolls are, are, are scientific, they're, they're challenging, they're making animal safety gadgets, all those things. Talk about our wildlife. Our animals are hunted every day for their resources or whatever they have. What if we, we introduce the science where the elephants have transmitters or whatever that can, you can tell that the elephant is in danger. So that's kind of content that I'm bringing in my animation to challenge the African child to think beyond sitting on a sofa and just laughing at Tom and Jerry. We don't have that luxury <laughs> as Africans. All other people have, but not Africans. This is our time for innovation, for, for, for conceiving great things, for, for pushing our way, for finding our way on the global space. Yes, I hope, I oh. hope I'm making sense. <laughs> oh, that, that's so ingenious and very fascinating. I love the energy that you have for this vision. Thank and you. Better, you recently published your book, The Memoirs of a Village Girl, which many have provided extremely attractive and uh, a rare kind of reviews. What inspired you to write about your life story and how does this connect to your passion today? All right. So as I've always
always been very proud village girl. I talk a lot about my village. <laughs> um, as I said earlier, I come from a small lecture-based village. It's called Kwawa in Chilumba, Karonga. That's Karonga South constituency. And mm. I was born in that village. I was just born in a health center nearby. It's called Vintukutu Health Center. It's a Catholic health center. I grew up on that village all my life. Of course, my father was a teacher, so he was moving around the nearby schools within the Karonga South constituency, but we didn't go beyond the constituency itself. So I was like literally in the village growing up. And mm. I, when I was growing up in the village, the other world didn't exist to me. I didn't know there was a town called Mzuzu, Blantai. I could hear about it, but I was never there. I had never visited big cities, let alone uh, bigger countries. So my world was my village, the four corners mm. of my village. Go to the lake, go to the mountain, go to the nearest uh, trading center, Uliwa. That was the, the world I had. It was a beautiful world when I was growing up because we didn't have a lot of stress and worries. Everyone was poor, so poverty was normal. A lot of things that were normal at that time. And when I'm looking back, I'm like, how did we accept this? But that was the world I grew up in. And then when I passed my grade eight, my standard eight to go to Gwendolyn Girls Secondary School, my world started opening up and a lot of more information started coming my way. And I started looking at life from a different perspective. But still, as I moved from secondary school, going to university, after university, I went for my master's. I traveled the world everywhere. I've been a lot of continents in this world. To me, I still realized that the life that I grew up with in the village, the innocent life of a village girl was way better. I was happier in my village, <laughs> so to say, than yeah. I, I have been at any point. Maybe because when I was in secondary school, there was pressure of school. I went to university, the pressures of university. I grew up, I became a mom. But all this life I've been to places, it could not compare to my village life. And there were a lot of things growing up in the village that were really fascinating. And when you look back at them now, you feel like, okay, so that was also what we were doing. Things like, for example, if white people come to our village, you know, tourists and they have parked their car, their tourist car, they're eating mm. tinned food, they're brushing their teeth with toothpaste. All those things were really strange for us, like toothpaste. We didn't know that there was toothpaste, even toothbrush. We, we could use sticks from the bush, you know. And yeah. if the eating food was even more stranger because we were used from catching fish from the lake, roasting it and eating. So that kind of world. So my memoir is about really the life that I led when I was younger. The things that fascinated me uh, growing up. No one wore shoes, Lily. And when you are wearing shoes, it means it's a little special occasion. Maybe there is a seasonal dances and you have saved the whole year just to buy a pair of shoes. And that shoe is just plastic. And now here <laughs> I am today with a lot of pairs of shoes. And, but still nothing can take away the plastic shoe that I had. It was like the best shoe I had. I wore shoes when I was in standard five. I wore an underwear in standard six. The first underwear I wore was made from chitenges my mom just made. So, and unfortunately, it had to break. The elastic had to break up during playing at school and it fell on the floor. It was a lot of chaos, but it was like, now I look back, I laugh. I'm like, oh my God, I went through that. You know, you are on the assembly. The teachers are speaking English, but it sounds like Tumbuka. And it's chaos, you know. I remember I even posted about a story where the teachers were saying, knees up, your knees should be up. 
and we're like yeah. marching and I'm feeling like this teacher is saying I'm coming to your place to beat you. It was just chaos. So good chaos, which is all the stories that I document in my book. And the, going to secondary school, I've never had uh, used a toilet, a flush toilet. And my mom is at the bus depot seeing me off and is like, when you go to secondary school, the toilets are not fit that leans. You sit on something and you flush. And I'm like, what will I flush? What will I sit? Where will I sit? I mean, and my mom is shouting on top of her voice, like giving me tips while I'm on the bus. And it was like, just wow. I arrive there, I, I get out to the Gwendoline market. I find someone selling frozen freezes. My first time to see frozen freezes. And I'm like, what is this? You know, I'm eating freezes <laughs> like I'm eating a cassava chunk. And it, it was just like, oh, so those are the stories that are in my book. And I think people find them funny because I've written them like comedy kind of. But those are real stories I lived through. Talk of uh, first soap, nice soap, Vinolia. It was soap for the rich. And I remember my father was a teacher, <laughs> but the whole primary school, only one household had Vinolia. And I remember as the young girls were about maybe 10, 9, thereabout, we had to tiptoe in this teacher's bathroom outdoor to smell the soap. And we were five of us <laughs> handing each other the soap, we're like, mm, mm, it's smelling really good. <laughs> because we were used to our Malula soap, I mean. And we were treating this soap like a queen, like we could put it on our head quickly and rush to our <laughs> home and bath because we have just put that soap on our head. That was like feeling in a good way. <laughs> we wanted to swear good. So Memoirs of a Village Girl actually is about the stories that I lived, you know, living them and, and, and experiencing them and me being in the village and selling fish, exchanging fish with rice, walking barefoot, sucking milk from the cow straight, being chased by the cows, you know, all those things. Looking for fish in the river and catching a snake. So it's a lot of wow. dramatic and running away from Red Cross people because we thought they are going to take our blood. I remember we ran, we, we hid in the bush for two hours and yet wow. the car that came was not even sucking our blood. It was a teacher's salaries. The, the, the education <laughs> office was delivering salaries and we thought it was Red Cross. We ran and we hid in the bush for two hours. So those are the stories that I talk about, about the replos, the shorts. I remember one time the Lepla people came to give us shorts, the health workers. I had to run from school for the whole week, not so that I don't get vaccinated, to hide in the bush every day. <laughs> Until one time they had to come in civilian uniform and they pretended that they wanted water. I go in the house to get water and that's how they caught me and gave me a vaccine. So, wow. <laughs> so, Memoirs of a Village Girl actually is a very interesting memoir and I urge a lot of people to read and they will appreciate. It's just a lot of laughing in the book, but it's also a lot of lessons of me coming of age. And, you know, when today they talk about gender, about girl child in school, I look at them and I say, you should just ask people like me who grew up in the village. For me growing up, the only thing that I was waiting for was to get married. I was like, yeah. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have a husband of my own. I'm going to have my own pot of fish. I'm going to have my own fireplace. <laughs> Things that were I was aiming for. I, because my world was limited to that world. I knew women, what they are supposed to do. Growing up, we were modeled to be wives. That's all. Yeah. Nothing else. So you'll be a wife. You have to do this. So today, when I look at all these stories about the girl child, I say, look here, we have gone through this. Just sometimes get lessons from us. Our world yeah. was limited. What we aspired for was to have our own pot of fish, to have our own fireplace to cook, 
to have That's our it. own house and a husband. And we were just eight, nine, ten year olds who have big dreams of just being wives. So to get out of that world, for me to be where I am today, it was not just by chance. I had to work through a lot of indoctrination to start telling myself that, okay, there's more to life than just a pot of fish. There's more to life than yeah. just being somebody's wife. There's more to life than just dying in this village. I can get out, I can go out, I can achieve more. And my mom was a primary school teacher, so that also helped somehow for me because then she could challenge me and show me pictures of people like Margaret Thatcher's, you know, wow. women who were successful, you know, she would tell me it could be anyone, you know. So it started really sinking into me to say, you know, there's life beyond this small village of ours where your aspirations and ambitions are just to be somebody's wife. Yeah, so memoirs of a village girl really is about me, my stories of uh, growing up, watching movies of uh, Rambo. I remember the first movie I watched about Rambo. <laughs> It was in a classroom and they told us to bring mats to cover the empty windows. A mat was like your own token of money. So if you bring a mat, you don't pay on the gate because wow. your mat is covering the window. And I remember <laughs> I stole my mother's beautiful visitor's mat and took it to the movies and the boys just cut it through so that they can peep inside the oh, cinema. Man. And it was very difficult for me to put that mat on because now my mother was like, what happened to my mat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's my mother the village girl. And uh, it's a very interesting book and I am trying very much to make it into a series, um, okay. like a movie series for younger kids because if I can have the whole book illustrated or animated or made into to like a life story it would yeah. be very interesting for a lot of kids to watch the typical life of an african village girl what it means to grow up in that environment and to break through to break out to find your own path and to achieve what i have achieved so yeah wow. it's an interesting book i i urge you to to read it <laughs> yeah definitely definitely yeah. just just explaining i'm just uh cracking up and laughing as you just uh giving the snippets <laughs> of the stories. Quite amazing. But yes. I, I know yes. that you're already co-authoring your next book, The Star That Took Me Home. What's the theme yes. of this book and what should we expect, especially after your most celebrated memoir? Okay, so for me as a writer, as I said, I like writing children's stories. I wrote my memoir because I wrote it also as a child myself when I was a child. So most of my stories are really based on a child-based, child-centered kind of. So the star that took me home is the story where we are trying to open up adoption in Malawi. Adoption is a normal process in many parts of the world, but it's not common, very common in Malawi, where you mm. find people who could just say, I want to adopt a kid. And yet we have a lot of kids who needs to be adopted. They're in the orphanages, they're in places everywhere they are there. So the friend of mine who we have co-authored the book, she adopted a kid. And mm. while we were talking and she was explaining to me the ups and downs of adoption. And now her kid is growing. She's having questions. And she, doesn't really, she didn't really know how best she could uh, explain to this kid that she was adopted. So mm. uh, the star that took me home is about a young woman who has a baby, but she doesn't know where to take that baby. So she takes it to a fairy godmother 
and a very good mother takes that child to a home that would love her. So that's the story, mm. basically. So it's about opening up the debate about adoption, what it means to be adopted. When you're adopted, doesn't mean you are not wanted. It just means that someone else you know, has wanted you even more. It's a thin line of discussion. It's not easy to introduce the topic to younger kids. And we want families to, to be able to explain what adoption is to their children in case they want to adopt a kid. You know, yeah. and if you are bringing a kid to a family, let's say I already have three kids and I am adopting a kid, that kid and my kids should have a place where they can understand each other. I'm not just Very doing true. this favor for this kid I'm adopting, but I am taking in a human to love them, to make them my family. And he is talking about family being more than just blood. You know, Very true. it's not Very just true. blood that you share. Family is the people who accept you and love you. So the Very star true. that took me home is a children's storybook and we should be able to launch it before the year ends. Uh, hopefully it's being mm. illustrated right now. Awesome. Awesome. Oh, no, that, that's a very inspired theme. And I'm looking forward to read the star that took me home. Now, I'm cautious of your time, but I, I'm still fascinated and very curious of your pattern of thought. Now, as uh, you responded to the interview questions as you went on and on and on about your life and your passion, I, I, I was just drawn to how your kind of a person would actually make massive contribution to the uh, education of our children, uh, to the efforts of the Minister of Education in Malawi and across the borders. And I'm just thinking, if you had to partner with the Minister of Education in particular in Malawi and other developing economies, what would be that one thing you would want to focus your energies on? What would you tell the Minister of Education, for example? All right. So for me right now, um, actually, I already have an area which I'm passionate about. And that area for me is innovation and creativity. I once went to the Ministry of Education as a concerned citizen, and my presentation there was, I felt the education was too basic. The education that we were giving our children was too basic. You, you learn, you write examinations, you pass grade, you go on. I feel like education is more than just being a basic passing of knowledge. Education should make individuals become creative, innovative, should be able to think beyond the grades that they are obtaining. And I know parents are obsessed with even grades. So yeah. I, what I really want, right, I wire to partner with means of education is to have like a learning hub where younger people, you know, there are children who are really gifted. They're just born gifted. They are just, they have that gift. But mm. in like in Malawi, we don't nurture such gifts. We don't nurture it because we don't have places and spaces and hubs where we can match. I know there's M-Hub, which deals a lot with technology, ICT kind of approaches, but there are other, other areas where children can be nurtured. We talk of art, we talk of music, we talk of creativity, we talk a lot of other things that children can really have a space to grow their talents. So for me, I would really want the ministry to open up as much as we're offering basic education, we should be able to offer more than just basic education. We should take an individual and make sure that we understand each child, their gifts and how best we can grow those gifts. We should be able to nurture them. As long as they are naturally gifted, 
that would be nothing if we don't nurture them. Someone would say, what about the village child, the rural child? Because we're talking about 75% of our people living in the rural villages. And unfortunately, the education that is seen to be offered in the cities uh, appears to be far much better compared to that in the rural areas. So what about that village child? How do we reach out to them to make sure that they also have their own creative centers and they are being inspired to see something beyond their schools? I think the means of education, the best they can do is to have after-school learning activities. These after-school learning activities, in the, during Kamuzu time, we used to have, but it was not like uh, spaces where we could become innovative or creative. It was more of sports, I think. So we could go in the afternoon to do just sports. But now they can really open up center within the school itself. They can have more clubs where children can do drama, can do quiz, can do journalism kind of things. They can be challenged. They can have different clubs. And in those different clubs, they can do different things. So if a child is passionate about writing, they can be in a writer's club. If a child is passionate about dance, they can be in a dance club. I don't understand how we are not able really to to introduce such things as part of after school. We, our children who go home by 12 o'clock, the whole afternoon they are just victims of child labor on the farm. And then we come back and cry about child labor. It's because of our poor planning. If we were to utilize every time that they have, even in the rural areas, children can be challenged. I'll tell you, I come from the lecture area. We have vast open water there. We have canoes. It's a sport. Do you know that rowing is a sport in parts of the world? People True. do competitions, annual competitions, and we have a freshwater body lake. Why can't we have schools like those? The children could be rowing boats and doing competitions. I just feel like the people who are in the planning areas or policy makers, they are so comfortable doing business as usual without challenging the status quo to say, look, our education is just basic. Children who finish from four in Malawi, if they don't find a course, they are doomed. And that should not be the case. By the time children finish from four, they should be equipped. I know education systems like in South Africa. By the time a child is finishing grade 12 in South Africa, they can get a good job. It's like equivalent to being in second year of college. They acquire a lot of skills. I'm not only talking about high school, even in primary schools. They give them a lot of work, or a lot of things to do, a lot of crabs to do, a lot of creativity. This can even happen in the rural area. Every teacher has a subject to teach. They can turn their subject into a club. If I'm an English teacher, you know, I can be the teacher who can teach the children how to write, yeah? the creativity, literacy, creativity. If I'm a maths teacher, I can make maths club. If I'm a science teacher, can do science club. If I'm arts teacher, I can do, I can come up with a lot of things. So I feel like the obsession of providing basic education, children passing and just recording that this year, so many children have finished under the eight or from four, it's not helping us. And so for me, what I'm trying to do is with my Yellow Kingdom network is also something that is kind of a research. I want to see if that kind of learning has an influence on the child's creativity also. And how do I take whatever I'm, I'm, I'm gonna gather from my Yellow Kingdom network to recommend to the ministry to say, look here, this is also another approach you can use. So 
that's why I need funding so that I also do research and development because there will be a lot of lessons that I can take from Yellow Kingdom Network that I can contribute to the Ministry of Education to say we can try this way. So I just feel like we really need to move beyond basic education. It's not bad to offer basic education, but it does not bring out in the kids that innovation and creativity kind. I mean, the brain is very active when someone is younger than when we are this age, you know? Yeah. And yeah. The, that is the time to take advantage of that part in brain development, in growth, to feed these children a lot of possibilities that they can venture into, you know? We really limit ourselves and that limitation also limits our careers out there. You find that many kids who just aspire to finish school and get employed, but we could do a lot more than other children. I admire countries like China and the other Asian countries. They take crafts and art very seriously. And it's from mm -hmm. crafts and arts uh, where you get also a lot of designing, innovation kind of things. So for me, after school learning would really be a good platform to introduce a lot of things to children. And you should do the mapping itself to find out children from this district, what can they do? You know, there are children from Mulanji, probably they don't even know that mountaining, going up the mountain is also some career that they can do. You know, yeah. we have different things. We have children from the lecture. We have children from all these children from different parts of Malawi. What is it that is there that you can mold their careers around, you know? Even if it's just agriculture production itself, what can you bring, what can young people think around? Their fathers used a hoe. Their grandfathers used a hoe. They will use a hoe. Ah, that's not <laughs> on. We should, by this time, we should have our people who are thinking beyond a hoe. We end up catching uh, witches and wizards because of using too much holes. You use a hole all day, your back is burning, and you come back and instead of thinking of how your muscles have been overstretched, you are already catching wizards and witches. I feel like Malawi, as we're aspiring for Malawi 2063, we should also break down to say, for us to accomplish this vision, Malawi 2063, what kind of human resource do we want? What kind of skills do we want? We really need advancements in terms of skills, you know? But with the way we are with our retarded population, 40% of the young people we are stunted. That's, that's our generation. How do you expect? There's nothing mm. we can think about and innovate and create, apart from trading from things that the Chinese made. That's not business. We can't just be going to other countries and picking their trash and selling in our country and calling that business. It's just too basic. We should be in a point whereby we also uh, come up with things that other people in the parts of the world can admire to say, ah, this I bought from Malawi. Ah, this is, was done by a Malawian. It's not bad to trade in things, but there will come a point whereby you will not be able to trade anymore, you know? Like the way COVID did right now. It was very difficult to travel the world. People were just trading within. And those nations who had capacity to produce within were able to do a lot than countries that wait on containers and shipments from China, you know? I just mm. feel like as we aspire to go forward pursuing Malawi 2063, we really need a revolution. We really need a big shift and investment in education. 
we really need that because with a poor human resource base, we cannot compete on the global scale. Well said, Bertha. Thank you so much. It's been a very, very educative, informative, and very engaging interview. Uh, thank you so much for showing up and thank you so much for pulling your heart out to the nation. You are very welcome. And thank you so much for having me. And uh, you know, as you can see, I love talking. So <laughs> anytime. <laughs> awesome, awesome. <laughs> to our audience, this has been Moses Chavi, your host, and our guest was Bertha Montali, the founder of the Yellow Kingdom Network. And Bertha has written multiple books and she continues to author and co-author other books. And if you search her name, Bertha Montali on Amazon, some of those books will come up. I would encourage you to buy those books for yourselves and for your children and definitely to follow Bertha on Facebook and to see what she's doing uh, regarding the creativity journey, the thought patterns and the interesting knowledge economy trajectory that she's touting to the masses. So until next time, it's goodbye. Thank you for listening to the episode and thank you for being a great audience on Suits and Sandals. To ensure we reach a wider audience, please like the podcast and share with your network. Until next time, it's goodbye.